It's time for another Pinball Profile. I'm your host, Jeff Teolis. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com. Check out our Facebook group. Don't forget about Twitter and Instagram at Pinball Profile. And you can email us, pinballprofile at gmail.com. Who says you can't go anywhere with COVID? I'm going to Germany right now because that's where I kind of wanted to go this summer. If not this summer, it'll have to be next summer or maybe the summer after. Maybe it'll be an annual trip because there's some exciting pinball there. And you know that because you've seen what Dina and Jim Lindsay have brought to the pinball competition world with JDL Pinball. And they join us right now. Hello, Dina. Hello, Jim. Hi, Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hi, everybody. It is good to talk to you again. It was just a few weeks ago that we were talking when you were live in Switzerland. That was a lot of fun at the Pinball Alps competition. That was amazing. And thank you for, for coming on our show on that side. So it's, it's great that you've invited us back on, on yours as well, Jeff. Well, I'm a big fan of what you do. And we're going to get into some of the great streams that you've done. But I have to ask right off the bat, how does this man from England and this woman from Russia meet in Germany? Well, we actually met in Siberia, it's where I'm from, and um, for work, so... I was doing, at the time, a lot of work in Russia. I, I work in the coal mining industry, uh, equipment supply, um, and I basically was working with a, a, a partner company in, in a town called Kamarovo. I needed an interpreter for an exhibition, and this company had just employed Dina and they sent Dina down to the exhibition to meet me. And the first thing she said was, I can understand what you say, but I can only answer you in German. Okay, we're getting closer, but uh, <laughs> you give a new meaning, by the way, to partner company uh, when you're talking about business and meeting your partner. But okay, that's, uh, that's fine. So that was how many years ago now? 13 years ago now. Um, but, uh, you know, we were just uh, friends and business partners for uh, a few years. And then I moved to Germany with my mother. And uh, because we have German roots and uh, my mom uh, applied for moving, moving to Germany. So we got there and obviously it's quite difficult when you're new in the country to find a job. And then Jim said, well, you valuable workforce uh, stopped lounging about and uh, employed me for his company in England. Yep. And um, then send me back straight to where I come from. <laughs> straight to Siberia. And, and her mother, uh, we're obviously very good friends now, we've known each other for a long, long time. But having spent most of her life working to get Dina out of Siberia, you can imagine her feelings when I employed Dina and sent her back. What a guy. And you're still together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well. Yep. Okay, so you are from Siberia and you had never seen a pinball machine. But you have a pinball connection in that you love the band The Who and obviously the movie Tommy and that pinball connection. So how did this all come about with you, Jim, and with you, Dina? How did pinball come into your life? Well, I heard of pinball from Jim because he mentioned that, you know, talking about his youth and things. But I didn't have any reference point uh, to it whatsoever because I've never seen a pinball machine and never played one. So... And it's only through seeing the or watching uh, Tommy the film for the 50th time, like pretty much straight after talking to Jim about it, I thought, well, I now actually have a reference point and I would really like to uh, go and play some pinball. And uh, the closest tournament uh, that we found was the German Pinball Open, which was exactly 10 years ago in 2010. So, uh, yes, and we went there, entered the tournament, uh, did quite well. We didn't come last, 
which is good. And uh, got to know lots of people uh, from England, from Germany, and sort of started developing the friendships from there. Yeah, it was that. I'll fill in a bit of the story briefly from my side. I, I lived in a town called Doncaster, which is in the north of England. And I used to play pinball when I was a lot younger and was always sort of reasonably good. It's something I did when I should have been at school. And uh, I used to play in my local pub in Doncaster and they had a machine there that had a monthly competition, which I used to go in at the beginning of the month and put a sort of half-decent score on and then go in two days before the tournament finished and wipe off whatever score anybody had managed to achieve and won maybe 30 or £40. Pounds. Then they took that pinball machine out of the pub and I thought, oh, this is odd. And then kicked you to Germany. I can't believe that for winning <laughs> yeah, the competition. <laughs> you're not playing here anymore. That you, 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 know, so you have to leave England straight away. <laughs> no, So that, that's what actually made me look for pinball outside of Doncaster. And I found pinball across the UK and got quite involved in the league scene and things there. And then found international pinball. And that's where it all started from. That was back in about, oh, 2000, well, it was 2010 from that GPO. So quite amazing. Was there a lot of pinball in England? Because I know in London it was difficult for me at the time when I was there to find pinball. Yes, the, the uh, England has league, leagues in different areas. So Northern League, uh, London Pinball League, probably about eight or ten leagues across the country. They have a league final every year, and they also used to hold the UK Open. Uh, it used to be held in Daventry near Nottingham, uh, Central England. Uh, that's that. That was this last year uh, in 2019, held in London, run by. Neil McRae and, and some others who I think you know. I definitely know what Neil's done. He's done some amazing things there and really grown pinball in England for sure. So in Germany, though, I mean, over the last few years, let's just say all of us North Americans have noticed, wow, look at all these great, not only German players, they've always been there, and we'll talk about some of those in a second, but a lot of great German tournaments. I mean, the Olympics. Uh, we're going to be talking about bowls and balls and some of the things that they do and the Ho-Ho event and all these massive, what people call Whopper farms in the sense that there's just so many different tournaments that you can really pad your IFPA ranking. Certainly, you'll get a lot of experience. Well, yes, uh, German pinball has uh, seen, has increased tremendously. When we started in 2010, there were two or three major tournaments in the country and a few more sort of smaller ones, like 32 people. And uh, last year, I think it was about 120. Wow. Uh, which was, I think, a tenfold increase. And, uh, you know, you combine all the balls and balls and events in one as well. So lots of venues. Uh, there have been lots of clubs and, uh, well, kind of pinball clubs in Germany are kind of a charity. Otherwise, you pay entertainment tax, which uh, is 40 euros uh, per machine per month. So pinball clubs like, for example, Rich Richmond Pinball Collective, sort of similar, a similar venue, uh, will have to be a charity. And therefore, it's the only way how, well, to, uh, to actually function. Uh, but there are some commercial venues like uh, Balls and Balls and uh, Pinball Universe, which is the dealership of Stern Pinball. And I think Zeligenstadt is a commercial venue as well. It's a pinball museum. 
uh, and they have slightly bigger spaces, they have more machines, and uh, they play tournaments on a more regular basis. And the demand is there, so we have absolutely no problem filling in a tournament with 100 people within like a few minutes after registration. So I assume access to pinball machines is pretty easy. You mentioned some of the distributors. I know other places in the world sometimes have to wait for shipments to come. But as far as Europe is concerned, and especially Germany, I saw this firsthand with that Pinball Alps tournament done in Switzerland. There was every new game possible there. I couldn't believe it. I guess that's part of the excitement for the players and for the leagues to see these new games come out and get their hands on them. Yeah, and Pinball Universe will generally put machines on location. Uh, so Balls and Balls is a, is a flipper location for PU. And, uh, and so they support them. They will also rent machines for use on a particular event. But mentioning the, the big whopper tournaments and everything, the Olympics and the ho, 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 the thing that the person we really have to credit for this is, uh, Tobias Begerman. Tobias, our country director, along with a, a sort of group of inner people we, uh, we humbly belong to, has been responsible for the expansion, the explosion, if you like, of pinball within Germany and, uh, and the international acclaim that it now has. Let's talk about Tobias for a little bit. I have yet to play against him. I know who he is. He's 45th in the world, and he's been playing for several years. But with Tobias, I've looked at his IFPA numbers, and mainly almost every single tournament he plays in is in Germany. I mean, he's been to the Belgian Open. He's been to Dutch Pinmasters and a few other uh, European championships. But mainly, he concentrates in Germany. That's how much pinball there is there, that here he is a great player, but there's so much pinball activity that he can propel himself with his excellent play to 45th in the world. Tell me about Tobias. Uh, well, he's uh, sort of a, one of the young uh, uh, enthusiasts uh, in the hobby. And he has a young family, so uh, traveling uh, like far abroad is uh, probably not always possible because his wife doesn't play pinball. Uh, she does support him in the hobby, but uh, still uh, it's difficult for him to be away. He's a passionate dad. Uh, he's got a new baby now. And he says he prefers organizing tournaments and make sure they run very well and playing them, which is incredibly difficult. I always fail my, my game if I'm TD in a tournament. So, uh, yes, and that's how the whole Whopper Farm idea and structure come about, so that people don't have to travel, because obviously, well, although Europe is a lot smaller by territory than the US and Canada combined, uh, it's still sometimes international travel, it's still a long journey, so... Uh, with his idea of um, combined tournaments within weekends and long weekends is uh, to make it worth for people traveling. Yeah. And uh, also, obviously, because uh, for the World Championship and the qualification of the World Championship, we have to compete with the North Americans who have hundreds major, well, biggish tournaments every weekend. We sort of thought, well, we may as well play many, many more tournaments within one weekend and uh, to allow European players to be able to qualify not only through uh, the country spots, uh, but also through the main ranking. Yeah. So just for example, uh, the Olympics now has qualification spots, automatic qualification spots for each country. 
for each European country. So any country can send two people and they will automatically get registered for that tournament. And that's so we get people like Peter Anderson, Frank Bonner, Daniele Acciari, uh, Roberto Leventi, people that come to the tournament because they know it is going to be a high-ranking, lots of points for that tournament because of the players that are involved. You can add Jeff Teolis once this COVID thing uh, to that list. (laughs) as a sad representation from Canada. Yeah, we, yeah. we would love to. Well, I mean, we had Clark, uh, Lauren Clark Freely uh, at the Olympics last year. We did. But the Olympics, That's no, right. they were midsummer. Mid, they were mid, mid-summer. Midsummer yeah. last year. We also, of course, had Cale uh, George because he lived in, in the Netherlands for a long time. So he was a regular attender at the, uh, the German tournaments. With all these great tournaments in Germany, that's where JDL Pinball comes in because you have streamed several of them and not just in Germany, but all over Europe. And let's talk about the greatest stream of all time. IFPA 16, Johannes versus Daniele, one of the greatest comebacks ever. Just back and forth, amazing play from both people. And not just the finals too, but leading up to that as well. Peter Anderson, who you mentioned earlier, he had some great competitions. That had to be one of the highlights for JDL Pinball. It, it was indeed. It was a it was a great build up. We were asked by uh, Josh Sharp. I know Josh is a very good friend of yours, Jeff. Yes, Josh is fine. In fact, he just said to say hello to you because I'm talking to him very soon, and he said to say hi to Dean and Jim. So there you go. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, and he asked us to do IFPA. Well, he basically asked the tournament, uh, the the country directors of Europe, if anyone could stream in Italy because Italy didn't have a streamer that could do the event. And a few of the country directors put our names forward. Josh Astor's, we absolutely jumped at the chance, spent uh, lots of money on new equipment. We flew it all down to Italy. Well, half of it we flew and half of it was taken by some of the great players in their cars. And uh, we had a wonderful, well, two weekends, one for the pre-IFPA tournaments where we got to actually measure out everything and, and test it all. And then the event itself, IFPA 16, was uh, amazing. So if that's one of the highlights, how did it all begin for streaming? And and why did you pick pinball? I know you both love pinball, but there are a lot of other sports that you could have covered. You certainly have a passion for gaming. Why was it pinball and how did it begin? We fell into it from when I moved to Germany, we, we started to get involved in the German pinball scene as players. So we went, we went to some tournaments and then I volunteered to help put together the German pinball open in Gladbeck in 2016. That was with a group of people who worked tirelessly to put together a hundred and around about 120 pinball machines that were recovered from people's barns, people's cellars, people attics all over this part this part of Germany and we spent 3 months working two nights a week changing light bulbs, changing rubbers, uh, getting the machines uh, into almost tournament ready state. I won't say I won't say perfect. And about two weeks before the event, I said, wouldn't it be nice if we could stream this event? And everybody looked at me as if I got two heads and said, who's got time to do that? So basically, uh, talked to Dina, then volunteered to do it, went online, learned a bit about OBS and uh, Logitech cameras and bought a, a microphone and a camera pole. And we streamed the GPO in Gladbeck. 
uh, as our very first event in 2016. So that's where it all began. And, and, and that was so, one, enjoyable and two, uh, successful in, in its own way yeah. that we just built from there and, and uh, everybody then said oh will you come and do this will you come and do this and, and it built from strength to strength and Dina I've seen you move the gear around at events and, and the gear that you've talked about uh, being expensive you keep adding to it in fact you've got some great cameras we saw it just recently at Pinball Alps in fact uh, yes, well, uh, this is actually quite a nice hobby uh, for your husband to have because uh, you never run out of uh, present ideas. So uh, every <laughs> pretty much like the last three years, every single birthday and Christmas, I will buy something pinball, either pinball or pinball streaming related for Jim as a present, which is absolutely wonderful because obviously everything that doesn't have a power cord is not considered of any value by Jim. <laughs> All the other presents just they just disappear, uh, never never get used, uh, never you know. Uh, but everything to do with streaming is always incredibly welcome. So um, yes, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty grateful, for, uh, darling, for your hobby. So um, yeah, the well the gear we have now is uh, pretty pretty awesome. So. Um, but Dina, you've got hobbies too, and I'm saying this because I'm watching you as we're looking on Skype right now, and the first thing I noticed in the background is a little drum kit, uh, an electric, I don't know, Roland drum kit or something, and, and I said, do you play? And you've picked up this hobby of playing drums. No wonder you love The Who. Keith Moon, I mean, by the way, on that kit, put on your headphones, plug in Who Are You by The Who, and just listen to Keith fill the gaps with fills here and there because I think he was getting bored and he just like, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here. And you can do it too on that kit. It's so much fun to do. Try it. But anyway, so you picked up drumming? Uh, well, I've been uh, in music my entire life. I started playing the classical piano uh, age of five and uh, um, sort of I have a classical pianist training. So that's why you like Rick Wakeman of Yes. Well, uh, yes, it was, it was a perfect combination. I was about seven and already into classical music my, when my wonderful uncle uh, gave me uh, two cassette tapes. I got a new cassette tape recorder and received uh, two cassette tapes from my uncle, and one of them uh, was uh, King Arthur by Rick Wakeman. So for a pianist, uh, at age sort of an impressionable age, to hear that first opening line made me a prog fan for absolutely ever. So, yes, I've been in prog music, progressive rock, into progressive rock music for pretty much my entire life. And uh, so the second hobby, which I am responsible for organizing, are going to various rock concerts. And, uh, well, we've seen The Who many times, we've seen Yes many times, we've seen Rick Wakeman uh, a few times, uh, have a signed copy of his printed music, and, you know, sort of all that fun stuff. And, um, yes, at some point I decided to learn drums. Uh, it didn't last long because work always gets in the way of uh, pleasure, little pleasures in life. I have come across several great pinball players who are drummers. And I have to think it's the hand-eye coordination. It's the timing. It's the juggling, if you will, of maybe multi-balls. It's, you know, the seeing more things at once. And drumming is a great skill set, I believe, to help you with pinball. Not only it's fun, too, especially when you love all this music, which actually makes me wonder. I don't know much about Russia. And you said your uncle gave you a couple of cassette tapes. Was this music and the 70s rock music that you love so much, was this readily available in Russia? No. 
So uh, basically everything, well, at Soviet times, everything that came from uh, a Western country was pretty much banned. Yeah. The only band that was uh, really popular in the Soviet Union was the Beatles, because it was not to be uh, sort of hidden. Well, he, they sang back in the USSR, so I mean, well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. And um, there are there are rumors that the, they actually gave a secret concert in uh, in Moscow somewhere uh, in a club in Moscow in the prime of their uh, life. I don't pretty believe that, but I've seen. Well, Paul McCartney did give a concert on the Red Square. Yes, I've seen that. Yes, in the early 2000s. And if you see the footage, men aged 50 plus stand there for two and a half hours crying. Oh, for sure. It's one of the most moving piece of television that I've ever watched. Uh, so yes, uh, Beatles and the Soviet uh, Soviet people is 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 one and everything. Uh, but the other bands were not known, and the only reason my uncle knows about them is because uh, he studied in in Saint Petersburg, and it was kind of more uh, attached to the Western world even in the seventies. But obviously, my musical time is uh, starts after the breakdown of the Soviet Union. So, and things were readily available. But obviously, it's bootleg copies. So, yes. for the first ten years of my life, I collected all my music, which I didn't have any rights to, to, to own. But <laughs> uh, since, of course, uh, bought Thank all, all my favorite, <laughs> all my favorites. Okay, Jim, time for a little rock Russia trivia. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So the Beatles, that was a rumor. They didn't actually play there from what everything I've heard. So, but, but certainly, like you say, popular. Who was the first rock star to play in the Soviet Union? Do either of you know? A little trivia here on Pinball Profile. First rock star to play in the Soviet Union. It was 1979. And there's a little bit of pinball in there in the sense that this person was in the movie, Tommy. Elton John. Elton John. It was Sir Elton John, absolutely. And then the first Western rock star to play there, for all of our North American listeners, was in 1987, Billy Joel. All right, back to pinball. Enough trivia. (laughs) (laughs) So the equipment on JDL Pinball has grown and grown. The number of streams have grown. And in fact, you've got an event coming up very, very soon, August 22nd, 23rd, at the aforementioned Bulls and Balls in Fulda. What's going on there? Well, we, we, we have actually just done a tournament last weekend. So we, we run a, a tournament Friday, well, three tournaments Friday and Saturday, uh, a Swiss mode, a group match play and a five strike knockout. And that was uh, limited to 25 players. It was done as a effectively a trial to see how good the distance, distance in what was, how many machines we could use and the best tournament format to be able to take some tournaments forward over the next few months while we are still under the COVID guidelines. So, and it worked extremely well. 25 people, Bulls and Bulls has a, a huge capacity. It has, um, 50, it's about 1,000 square meters. 1,000 yeah, uh, square meters, 57 pinball machines. We use basically one machine out of three as a general rule. So one machine switched on, two switched off, next one on. Okay. And uh, the feeling of everybody was that of safety. The distance you would apply between you and your partner player was fine. There was no crowding within the halls that made anybody feel unsafe. We had, of course, temperature testing at the door. Really? And and recording temperature names and addresses and telephone numbers. Oh, good. We had uh, hand sanitizers everywhere. 
we so we, we we had the distancing rules. We were looking basically for hotspots, and the one we found. This is p- perhaps interesting for any TD who is thinking of organising a tournament during these times. The most difficult one we found was the match play score entry and the display of the players for the next round. The the players would naturally crowd round. You know, a big TV monitor on the wall, so it's not as if the light huddled in a corner. But the tendency was people to to be so keen to see their name and where they were to to not be as conscious of the distance and as they were for the rest of the weekend. So we basically the twenty second is a is a meeting of our little inner circle, which will be discussing this trial tournament to see what we need to do going forward and what we can actually put in place for the next tournament, which we're planning in September. Now, on the 22nd, we will have Johannes there, so we will be doing some stream of demonstration play and things, but it's unlikely to be a tournament. The tournament was actually last weekend. Uh, We did stream that, and um, I'm just doing video editing at the moment to get that onto YouTube. That I look forward to watching, and good on bulls and balls for that extra precautions, the temperature taking, the distancing, the one out of three machines. The one thing I was thinking about adding, and when you're playing multiplayer games, you know, usually when you're qualifying for these events, if it's a herb score or a pump and dump, you play your machine by yourself and someone else goes down. Good chance for you to then wipe down the machine, the lock bar, all those kind of things. Well, in multiplayers, you've got four people on a machine, you play ball one, the next person goes, the next person, the next person goes. I'm wondering if we are going to have these tournaments, if it is safer to just play your entire game and then let the next person go record your scores would that help with social distancing and tournaments in covid i think it would it would probably help but i think it would also restrict the competitive side to it that that i think we found from last weekend that four player games are not right i think two player games are okay four player games you, you get the other three players congregating too close together the, well, they weren't uh, congregating that much, but Jeff is right. It's the touching, uh, it's the touching, touching of the, machine, the of yeah. the gear yeah. and uh, sort of uh, stepping aside, and the next one comes in, and where do you step? Uh, that was a uh, uh, and you know lots of players in the four play match uh, actually put masks on. Wearing masks all the way through the game. Yes. Uh, but uh, on the two-player games, um, lots of people didn't. So it wasn't a requirement for the tournament because we did have enough distance um, to be able to stay away safely. But some of the people, well, either work in hospitals or uh, have uh, some kind of medical conditions, so it was up to them to choose to wear a mask. But during a four-player game, uh, definitely more than a half of the people wore, the uh, wore masks during the game. Which was an indication of whether people were feeling comfortable or not. And I know this is a bit of a mute point. The, the, uh, I don't expect the IFPA to put competition back in place until beginning of next year. I think that that's almost certain. I think what we're trying to do in Germany is is just try and maybe push a little bit to see if we can get something there in competitive pinball, even though it is in a very limited form. But people have to be comfortable. People have to feel safe. And if they don't, then they don't play. Uh, it, it's you know it, it's it's up to us to try and create that. We, but we would never force anybody to be there. Of course, that's that's purely by choice. I like hearing these precautions. I myself weary if IFPA started tomorrow and there's no vaccine and masks aren't mandatory. Boy, as much as I want to play and as much as I want to see people, I would have difficulty. But 
I saw what you did at Pinball Alps. I like hearing what you've done at Bulls and Balls, and I'm going to see it again on the 22nd. Those make people like me feel a lot more comfortable. And uh, I was really glad to hear you talk about the temperatures and, and the contact tracing. That's very important. But you mentioned that, yeah, probably IFPA, we won't see that kind of competitive endorsed tournament until maybe 2021. Well, with that, IFPA 17 got moved. It was originally supposed to be in May. Then it was supposed to be in November in Florida. Now it's being pushed to next year. Let's put it this way. Even if the borders were open, people would come from all over the world to the U.S. and they wouldn't be able to leave because not too many countries are accepting people from the U.S. right now during COVID. That being said, 17's moving. So that means IFPA 18, which was supposed to be in Germany at Freddy's Pinball Paradise, that is now obviously going to be postponed till 2022. That's unfortunate because I know you were looking forward to seeing so many of the world's best, like you did in Italy last year, come to Germany. Yep, we we will be there at the IFPA 18 anyway, whatever year it is. We will be streaming that. We, we were also asked to stream the European Championship this year, mm. uh, the, the EPC, which we were scheduled to do in Belgium. We're expecting now that to be moved by a year, and so therefore we will be doing the EPC in 2021. We seem to have plenty of things to keep us busy at the moment. We uh, we are being asked to do various things at Pinball Universe and elsewhere, so we're just finding other avenues as as well as tournament pinball, which we love, um, just to keep the uh, the cobwebs off the streaming equipment. Well, uh, actually, moving twenty twenty, uh, moving the AFPA eighteen to twenty twenty two is probably not a bad idea anyway, because the technological leap in two years' time is probably going to allow us to have like a space shuttle cameras or you know, like really high tech, like really fancy stuff. Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, don't mind. I mean, uh, the sort of positive side of COVID, if there is one, is that the technology is uh, developing a lot faster now because communication in these times, uh, well, telecommunication in particular, is uh, incredibly important and part uh, part of lots of businesses. So uh, product development in that respect, I think, is going to wheeze away. So yes, we're waiting. You know, that's a good point because that's how we got to do that Zoom call at Pinball Alps. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be on JDL Pinball with you. So that's too bad about uh, the European Pinball Championship in Belgium being moved to next year. But I know JDL will do another great job, just like IFP 18, whenever that is. I did see you at the last European Pinball Championship in Denmark last October. And you finally got to just play and have some fun. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. We, yeah, that would, we we don't often go to to pinball tournaments without streaming equipment, but it's actually very nice when we do. Um, and you know, we met a really really nice Canadian guy there. I, I'm not sure if you know him. I'll have him killed. Who was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to meet both of you, and that was good. And again, we were talking about some of these great players in Europe, but specifically in Germany. We mentioned Tobias. We have seen what Johannes Ostermeyer has done, a, a number one player in the world, uh, a world champion. Now he gets to keep that title for another year. But the guy, I can't remember what stream it was. I think it had to be your Ho 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 event. You had him on the stream. And I'm fascinated by this young player. He's 23rd in the world, Paul Engler. Please tell me about Paul. Uh, Paul is just continuing to develop at a, at a 
great pace. He was in our tournament last week. Uh, he won. He won one of the tournaments. And is he fourteen years old? He's thirteen. He's thirteen years old. He's, he's quite small in stature. And probably when you saw him in in last year's tournaments, he was still using a box to stand on. Um, which of course everybody then underestimates his capability and he wipes them out he is an absolutely tremendous player he's got he's got game knowledge he's got flipper skills you would not believe and he is uh, so mature for his age and matured even more since six months ago when we last saw him he was a real real joy to be in the tournament with last weekend Yes, and he also um, is kind of interested in the te- technical side of the streaming as well. His dad supports him in that. So Paul has a YouTube channel called uh, Pin Sheep, where uh, he demonstrates uh, a lot of gameplay on the newest turns. And, you know, the video I got to watch, uh, he got, uh, like, an amazing score on the uh, Ninja Turtles, uh, yeah. like, in one game, one, one hour, 20 minutes, one game. So he's going to uh, develop to a nice media person at some point. But we are really lucky because Johannes is also a, 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 an excellent character. He's awesome. It, his skills we all know from that IFBA 16 World Championship and he'll, he'll continue at that level. He's uh, just finished his final exams, so he's, he's now moving to college. We've, we as JDL Pinball have actually given him a streaming kit to try and encourage him to put some streams online. He's not he's not plucked up courage or had the time yet to do that. He's partying, <laughs> darling. Let them be. <laughs> we were all there once. You're right, Dina. Although, you know, that could be something new for JDL because I know Johannes is going to school for languages. You could have him do it in several languages. JDL could be number one across the world. <laughs> he's going to study Latin. Oh, just Latin? Oh, all right. <laughs> That's his main subject. Maybe yes. maybe we could branch out there and put Latin subtitles on all of our streams. That might that might work. Well, you have to sort of be dressed as a centurion and, you know, <laughs> yeah. like Roman dress and, uh, yeah. Riding a chariot. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. I know you get excited whenever you get to stream the Game of Thrones because of your daughter Kate, and uh, she did some great work on that. Yeah, that was, uh, I was hoping you were going to link into that story because my do- daughter Kate, uh, is the female voice on the, on the pinball machine, not in the, not in the series and the pinball machine Game of Thrones. So she's the girl that says, uh, House Baratheon, uh, et cetera, at the beginning of a game. And tells you off for, uh, being such a bully. Yeah, yeah, don't, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're being too rough. She tells me that most days. And, um, basically, uh, th- this came about with a meeting with Steve Rich at the Dutch pinball tournament about, would it be, four years ago? Yeah, maybe 16, 16 or so, 15, 16, somewhere around there, yeah. And, um, and basically, Stern were looking for an English-speaking voice, an English-sounding voice, who was involved in pinball. And Kate, at the time, was uh, the number one player in England. She was involved in organizing league meetings and very much in the in the UK scene. And so she fitted the bill. She has a lovely speaking voice. And they and took, sounds great on the recording. Yeah, they took her into a studio in England and recorded that online back with Chicago. So that's our other claim to fame is that, uh, yeah, my daughter is the female voice of the Game of Thrones. Nobody actually believes this story. I know it's true. It's very exciting. Yeah. I'll give you another another bit to that story, whether you want to use it. Yeah. 
when she visited PinLab, well, she, she's an accountant and she was uh, doing work in Denmark and she visited PinLab and they took her into the place. There was a Game of Thrones pinball machine right in the in the centre. They'd moved it out, and they asked her to stand in front of the machine saying the uh, the name of the houses while they were pressing the flicker <laughs> button, and uh, and they made a, a video recording of it, and they, 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 she was treated like a real VIP for the evening. <laughs> very nice. That's very cool. I'm glad they liked her voice because otherwise they would have had her walk the hall and go, shame, shame, shame. (laughs) Awesome. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about was there's been a big change when it comes to streaming, whether it's Twitch, whether it's uploading on YouTube, and it's obviously copyrighted music. If you are using this in your streams, the audio might be, taken out because of the copyrighted music but you kind of have a way around that don't you with jdl pinball we purchased something called a gamer license in in germany which allows us to broadcast background music and in when you're streaming pinball then you always get that you get the acdc machines you get iron maiden you get um beatles is the worst one as soon as soon as the beatles pinball machine starts a copyright uh, block gets put on your video so the gamer license is the way is the way to block that. Now, when you get a copyright claim, the video immediately cannot be monetized. But we don't monetize at the moment anyway. We then do a counterclaim, which we give them the gamer license. Then a thirty day period for that to be accepted, and generally then it get it gets uh, wiped out. So that so the copyright disappears. But it's it's sort of slightly annoying. We 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 can also get it from background music from a bar, uh, particularly oh, wow. in, in balls and balls and things where particularly late at night there'll be loud music playing and it'll be picked up by the microphones. Impossible not to. And then the next thing you know, the video has a has a, a copyright block with some embarrassing music attached to it, like you know, like party disco sort of thing, which uh, you know. I don't want to be seen dead next to. Uh, never mind. <laughs> Wait a second. I love the Who, but I also love disco. Hold on, Dina. You got to embrace it all. All right. Especially as a drummer, the percussion in disco is. I mean, once you start playing that hi hat, you'll be thinking some disco beats. I'm telling you right now. You're not going to win this one, Jeff. Oh, no. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Wasn't there a sister disco by the Who? Yeah, but it's it's a proper music from the seventies. <laughs> it's not something from you know like. From 2019, that's... Fair enough. ...written in electronically, not by a human being, to make lots of money and not to be <laughs> great musician. So uh. The point is, you're right. I mean, music, and does that include things that happen in movies, whether it's not even music, but it's actual lines in movies? Would that count as the copyright? I don't think I don't think you get caught on line, lines in music. You might you might for the theme tune of um, of a film or something. But they are getting stricter and stricter. The copyright claims we've had in the last five years have been streaming. But we're probably only two or three over the over the first four years of that. But recently, they, they tend to tend to happen um, more often. Your microphone has become better. Uh, we, That's yeah, the we, we also do have much better audio equipment. So the the the, the game the game sound um, is something I've always thought is as important in a stream. And of course, the, the the better the equipment is for recording that, the more likely it is that the, the the tunes and things are going to be picked up. So yeah, you're probably right. It's probably more to do with equipment than yeah. 
and rules. Well, no, also the uh, um, the filters and the IE behind the recognizing uh, the copyrighted music have become uh, better and better. And we are kind of disadvantaged anyway because uh, we have the German IP address and Germany is incredibly strict on copyright protection. So some music, well, some videos on YouTube that uh, from other countries um, that are not uh, as strict on rules, uh, if they cannot uh, dispute the copyright claim, their video will not be played in Germany with a line across the screen saying... Uh, this creator uh, doesn't have the GEMA license. Mm. So it is, and it has been uh, like that for quite a number of years. So, um, yes, well, we're all in favor of protecting somebody else's we, property. We, we, have both, no, obviously. we have no issue at all yeah. paying money back to the, the music creators because that's how that's how music works. If you, if you don't pay, uh, then you don't get the music and, um, and we're very much in favor of having the music. Okay, let's recap what I've learned here on this Pinball Profile. You're very responsible when it comes to copyrighted music, yet Dina grew up with bootlegged cassettes. Uh, okay. <laughs> I have replaced every single item that I've ever owned. <laughs> I've also learned what partner company means, and uh, that you can, if you work for a company, you'll find your partner. Okay, I've, I've got that. Find a partner in any company you like. That, that works, yeah. Not for you anymore. That's the way. And once again... Disco rules. That's all I'm going to say. We'll just leave it at <laughs> Dina, Jim, you know how much I enjoyed this. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on stream again on JDL Pinball and more so even seeing you in person when that day comes. I look forward to that. Me too. So, yeah, see, see you soon. Stay safe. Uh, and thanks to everybody as well. And you're welcome to Germany hey, anytime you after this all madness. I'll be there. Thanks very much. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been your Pinball Profile. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram. We also have a great Facebook group. And you can email us pinballprofile at gmail.com. I'm Jeff Teol. Goodbye, sister disco. With your